Welcome all you good movie buddies to the Popcorn Diet, a podcast for those who live on a steady diet of movie, theater, popcorn, and other movie snacks like chugging a monster energy drink before an 11 p.m. showing of Ready Player One. As always, my name is Rick Williamson, your very best good movie buddy, and with us as usual is our other good movie buddy, the Canadian machine, Mr. David Melhorn. David, how are we doing today? Doing great. Yeah? You know, got to enjoy a good old Steven Spielberg film. Hell yeah. It's Lots it's, of lots of Easter eggs. We're not going to talk Easter eggs in this episode because it would take the entire 50 minutes or yeah, hour. Yeah, it'd never end. It, never, it would never end. Um, well, I mean, I think in, in our conversations, in our articles, even going back to some of our very first episodes, it's been made abundantly clear that that Spielberg is the number one filmmaker influencer like he's it, it's weird to call somebody like your idol you know dude's my idol like he can do no wrong i look at him through rose-colored glasses like so on one hand a big part of this episode in this movie has been about like you know uh trying to trying to walk back my my love of spielberg because I'll, I'll go to war for Steven Spielberg. Um, and then the other part of it is just how damn fun Ready Player One actually was and is. Um, but before we get into that, I do want to talk a little bit about Spielberg. I mean, I, and and David, you know, you probably don't have a list of filmmakers like I do. I'm sure you do, uh, but I consider Spielberg to be the greatest filmmaker of our time. I think that that's probably up for debate. I think a lot of people might pick like a Kubrick or or people might go a little bit older and they might pick like a John Ford or an Orson Welles or Francis Ford Coppola. But to me, Spielberg's the best filmmaker of all time. And I think it is not an argument that he's one of the best of all time, if not of this generation. Would you agree? Yeah, definitely one of. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't feel like that's a big like debate topic. Uh, I, I don't, I mean, a, anyone who were to say otherwise, I would be fascinated at the reasoning behind it. But he's 71 years old. He's still cranking out these movies. And he's he's been on a little bit of a kick lately where he's done a little bit more serious dramas with The Post and Bridge of Spies and Lincoln and War Horse. And he's only sort of dabbled back into the blockbusters that he was known for kind of in his youth. But this film is so energetic it's so i mean there's no really i mean it is relentless that it feels it doesn't feel like a 71 year old filmmaker made this movie um and so if you had to pick one david what is your i don't want to i don't want to say best i mean if you want to we, we can list like your favorite spielberg film but i i listed it i wrote it down as most impactful like, what film do you think impacted you the most of his filmography? And he's made 33 films, or at least been a part of 33 films. Some of some of those, like the Twilight Zone movie, uh, he was he did an anthology, so he only did one part. But sure. out of those 33 films, if you had to pick one to put at the top, what do you think it would be for you? Man. Um, right? It's, it's difficult, How hard for is sure. That? And I, I mean, I think peak Spielberg was 
80s, 90s Spielberg, sure. in my opinion. Sure. Um, not that I don't enjoy everything that he's done since then, but definitely all the ones to me, you know, I think of are in the 80s or 90s. Um, I, I mean, for me, it's got to be probably either Jurassic Park or Saving Private Ryan. Okay. Those would probably be my top two. Okay. All right. Um, close in there would be... I kind of lump them all together. Indiana Jones, sure. Um, but those are those would be be the ones that impacted me the most, sure. And, and that I that to me, I watched and said like, I'm watching like an amazing movie, like greatness. Yeah, yeah, like an all time. And I think Jurassic Park maybe like, and people can debate how great of a movie Jurassic Park is, right? But to me, that one maybe has a little bit more like the nostalgia at it ahead of its time type sure. of stuff going for it. Whereas like Saving Private Ryan, I just think is one of the all time. One great of the most powerful in films. General, yeah, in general. So I, I, I mean, I'm going to just I'm going to do something I've never done before. And for Spielberg, of all people, I'm going to keep it to one. It's Jurassic Park for me. Obviously, I could go through all of his phases, his earlier phases, his 80s phases, the 90s, even the 2000s with his sort of sci-fi, you know, he did a bunch of sci-fi movies in the early 2000s. But Jurassic Park is probably the not only the most impactful Spielberg film for me, but probably the most impactful film of my life because that's the film that made me realize I love movies. I'll, and we, we talked about this experience before. This is not a new story, but... But going to the theater with my dad when I was seven and watching that shit unfold in front of me was genuine magic. And and from that point on, like I'm a con I'm a convert. I'm I'm on his side no matter what. Uh, and so with this, you know, I think one of the things that makes Spielberg so great is the guy knows how to use the language of filmmaking perfectly you know there's there are people there you know when when you quantify like the greatest of all time right you look at somebody like a lebron james a little bit little in your wheelhouse since since you you're a basketball mm -hmm. guru uh, not a self-described basketball guru but a, a, a basketball guru nonetheless you look at lebron james and you look at the way that when he's on the court with 10 nine other guys he is at times leaps and bounds better like he's unstoppable. And I feel like Spielberg is that same way. No one knows how to use the language of film so effectively like Spielberg does. Whether it be a war film, whether it be a drama film or a sci-fi film that's supposed to up the tension or a love story. You know, the, the guy's, he's a bit of a romantic. I think a bit is, is probably stretching it. And he's always been a little cheesy. I mean, you go back to... I mean, you go back, look at the last shot of Jurassic Park where you got Alan Grant, who's hated kids the entire time, sitting there in the helicopter with his arms around the two kids. Like, it's a little on the nose. You know, mm -hmm. the same is true of, like, Hook. You know, there's some lines in Hook. Now, now we'll get into this in just a second, but there's some lines in Hook that are just super cheesy. You know, for example, like, uh, when the little girl talks about Hook and she's like, he's just a mean old man without a mommy. That shit always kind of bugged me a little bit because it's just cheesy. <laughs> and there's plenty of stuff in Ready Player One as well. But 
I just want to just bask in his greatness for just a little bit longer. He's made 33 films. And and you and I, we've made our feelings on Rotten Tomatoes, mm-hmm. you know, pretty, pretty abound. They're not the highest. But I had to pull – it's the easiest way to pull, like, a general consensus on his 33 films. And just to put it in perspective, out of 33 films, three of them – only three of them are under 60% fresh. Only three of them are what are considered, quote-unquote, rotten. Now, again, we're not going to get into the bullshit that is Rotten Tomatoes. It's just a real easy binary way. And and those three films are 1941, Hook, and The Lost World, Jurassic Park, which I think all have their, their positive qualities. 30 of his films are, are rated fresh. Um, I believe 26 of them are certified, meaning they're above 72%, 73%. I don't remember what it takes to get certified, but I think it's over like 70% or something like that. And at the top of the list, you have things like Jaws, E.T. the Extraterrestrial, uh, Schindler's List of all things, you know, even Catch Me If You Can is up there. I mean, this guy has cranked out all different types of films from Minority Report to Lincoln, from The Post all the way to Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, which, dare I mention, has a 77% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, a movie, a, a scene of Shia LaBeouf swinging on, on the vines with monkeys does not a bad movie make. <laughs> I've said this all the time. And so this, this is sort of the abbreviated version of, of not only our love, but more importantly, my love of, of Steven Spielberg. It's we, – I could go for – we could make well, this a two-hour One thing, One if, last thing that I'll say as far as the Steven Spielberg topic, one thing that I've always found cool about Spielberg is that, you know, outside of maybe Harrison Ford, like – and that's just because he did a franchise, one of the few franchises Spielberg did. Sure. Like, Spielberg doesn't have, like, his boys that are, like, you know, you got Scorsese. There's certain people that are always in Scorsese sure. films. You've sure. got... Uh, I mean, he, he's he got a few, I would there's, say. There's not many. Like, I'm going... As, as I go through who's been in, like, the closest I could say would be, like, Tom Hanks. Yeah, for sure. Tom like, Hanks has done what four? Four. four he's done Saving Private Ryan, Catch Me If You Can, The Terminal, and Bridge of Spies. Like, okay. he's as you go through all the people that and have the been, post, and the post now, yeah, because this one's not updated. If you go through like all the people who have been in Steven Spielberg movies, sure. like there's not many people that have been in like a ton of repeats. No, I'd say Tom Cruise had his moment when when him and Tom Cruise did a couple of things. But even that was like two two movies. Right now, his boy is Mark Rylance. This is his, I believe, third film with him. In- yeah, but and and again, like outside of Hanks, though, and and I guess the right, couple though. movies, like he doesn't have like DiCaprio is always in right Scorsese films, right? You know, right. And, and before uh, that, De Niro, David O. Russell always has <laughs> right. You know, Jennifer Lawrence, Jennifer Bradley Lawrence, Cooper, Bradley Cooper, for sure. Um, so, and I think you know, there's a lot of directors, and a lot of it's just because you, wor- you have good chemistry and you work well with them. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's you know a testament to him that the diversity of people that he's worked with 
Yeah. Oh, one hundred percent. I mean, amongst amongst other things, and 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 let let's be clear. Like, not only as a director, but as a producer, he's one of the most powerful people in Hollywood, maybe even the world. I was reading the other day that his uh, net worth is three bill three billion dollars. Three billion dollars. Some crazy shit that I was reading. Like he bought like a two hundred fifty million dollar yacht. Like, just makes me makes me respect him even more because he's balling out on quarter of a of a billion dollar yachts like like it's nothing but but all of that being said again that that's the abbreviated love for spielberg we i could break this shit down for hours what we're here to talk about is his latest film his his kind of a return to form um in a, in a way with ready player one being a big action sci-fi fantasy blockbuster uh something that he really hasn't done in a while i think his truly last big blockbuster uh was indiana jones back in 2008 right big blockbuster from the standpoint of did well well he's had a number of movies with massive budgets like bfg had a massive budget sure didn't make like 60 million dollars yeah sure 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 and even then this is only in its first weekend it had a good first weekend 50 50 something million dollars 180 something it's not it's not going black panther or marvel or anything money but it's gonna do well it's gonna do well Um, it's got it's got a good april month where there's just not a lot coming not out. Not a ton of competition. It could take number one next weekend. So coming into it, before we talk about the film, David, you had not read the book, correct? Correct. So you came in relatively cold. Um, the book is was written about, I think, 2011 it came out. Um, and it's it was written by Ernest Klein or Ernie Klein. And it was, it's obviously, it's this, it's a futuristic book set in sort of a, a, a dystopian future that's not like Mad Max, it's really just kind of shitty. You know, like there wasn't a huge nuclear war, there wasn't some big comet that ruined ruined the earth, there wasn't there wasn't zombies or anything like that. It's global warming and overpopulation and 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 not taking care of each other and not taking care of the environment just made things kind of shitty and things kind of suck. And so the way people get over that is they all go into the Oasis, which is a huge virtual reality world. It's more than just a game. It's a world where people can go and they can learn, they go to school there. They make money there. They they play games there. They live their lives there where you, you wake up, you log into the Oasis, you spend your day there, you log out, you go to bed, right? And when it came out, it was pretty well received. Um, now, we're not going to get into it a ton here. Mostly because I don't know how much I have to say about it, but ever since it was released, you know there have you know there have been pretty big seismic shifts in you know socio political you know, conversations about gamers and fanboys and the you know the the phrase you know toxic nostalgia uh, you know and things like that have come out and and it really for a, a handful of people or for the people who write on many other, you know, movie blogs, apparently that kind of ruined the book for them, you know, because they saw Wade Watts, the hero, as some Gamergate kid, which I personally don't see. Um, And I read it, I loved it, and when they announced that Spielberg was directing it, I was, I I freaked the fuck out, because... I just couldn't believe it. It's like one of my favorite books most recently. 
being adapted by one of my filmmaker, one of my favorite filmmakers of all time. And the first thing that I want to say as we talk about the film without any spoilers is that it's not a it's not a perfect film. I still gave it five popcorns in my review. I it's not a perfect film. It's cheesy. It's really fast paced. So there are some lines that are absolute clunkers, things like that. But I can't remember the last time I had this much fun. And again, maybe I was jacked up on on Monster Energy drink. But I can't remember the last time I had this much fun with a movie as my initial reaction. How did you feel walking out of it? It was a ton of fun. I mean, I think, again, I may be one that, you know, goes into some some movies of Spielberg's. Like, it's probably the same reason I really enjoy Hook is... I don't go into it expecting for it to be a masterpiece. Like I go into it expecting some some good, wholesome fun. Like you know, right. like it's you know, if I think if you go in with the right perspective, like you can really find yourself enjoying it. And I yeah. think that's the hard part sometimes is people want to go in and they want they have certain expectations that it needs to do a bunch of things like people can get over analytical about the characters that are in there like sure. You know, one of the things and this is probably jumping ahead a little bit, but one of the things, you know, people seem to get hung up on is like well, you know, like Spoiler, you should know this from the trailer, so it's not okay. much of a spoiler. But the Iron Giant's in it. Sure. And it's Iron Giant is used as a weapon. Sure. Like, people are saying, well, Iron Giant was nice and loved people. And sure. that and was like, and he friendly. Didn't, it was an anti war film. And it's like, you are not a gun. It's like, and then they <laughs> that's not what this was. Right. Like, they weren't using every one of these avatars and things like that, right. like in the way they were in that character, it was like who they could be or who they could personify. And I think if you could, if you got hung up in like, you know, like if you were expecting like somehow Steven Spielberg to put together this movie and like it be a film that stays true to every one of the characters, like right. that's not what this was. And no. you obviously didn't, think about what this movie was going to be like going into it. But if you came in, I think with the right frame of mind, like I feel like we did, like you can enjoy it and enjoy the brilliance that, you know, Steven Spielberg does and sure. the escape that he can provide. And, you know, I think it was peak Spielberg from the standpoint of, yes, it had cheesy lines and things like that. Sure. And, and those it moments. got real fucking cheesy at the end, if we're being completely Ab honest. Absolutely. But like one of the things that I think Spielberg does so well is just like the nostalgia factor. Sure. Like if there's one card that he can play really well, it's the nostalgia factor. Even without like, all of the existing properties involved. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I, I, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a lot of fun. Again, I don't think I walk away from it saying like that's one of the best movies of all time. Sure. Like, or even that's, you know, one of Spielberg's best movie of all time. Sure. But I think, you know, from an enjoyment standpoint, it's probably one of the movies that like I could find myself going back and watching absolutely more times than, you know, Schindler's List. Well, yeah, <laughs> you gotta be in the right frame of mind for that. I think it's my seventh second I mean as we as we sit right here right now at the beginning of April, I think it's my sick my second favorite film of the year behind Black Panther. Um 
And just to speak to your point a little bit, and I have so much to talk about in the spoiler section, but going back to the Iron Giant comment, I read something on the internet um, from from Drew McWeeny, who goes by, he was uh, at Moriarty for the longest time on Ain't It Cool News, and he's one of the guys that I read a ton of. He kind of helps shape the way that I consume movie news. And what, he brought up a really great point, which is a lot of people see the Iron Giant in the movie and they think it's the Iron Giant. And so when they see the Iron Giant in the film using laser eyes and shit like that, they get upset because that goes against the 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 message of the film. But it's not the Iron Giant. It's an Iron Giant. You know, it's 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 a it's a piece of content in a video game. You know, and it's the, the same is true of everything in the film. Like the Back to the Future DeLorean is not the Back to the Future DeLorean. It doesn't travel back in time. It's a Back to the Future DeLorean, you know, and and that's the whole point is that, you know, being able to put these things in here, in, in, in my opinion, enhances the story. I think that you could tell this story and swap out all of the pop culture references and Spielberg could make still an effective story. Like if the Iron Giant wasn't the Iron Giant, it was just a robot, right? Spielberg is so fucking good at the language of film that it wouldn't have mattered. I don't think. I mean, I don't think people would have been as engaged. Um, eh, I still, not. I still think it would people have been. People wouldn't have been as mad or shitty about it. Well, I mean, it the goes. Ones who it, are, it goes. It ton. goes both ways. I mean. I think the majority of people, you know, enjoy it for what it is and sure. enjoy seeing those little, you know, I it's hard to call them Easter eggs because they're right there in the front. Right. <laughs> but like the references, all, all the little the, pop all culture All the different references. things in there that takes them back and it is nostalgic for them. I think the people that looked at it in that frame of mind, like I think there's – there's something that would be lost by removing those from there. Sure. That being said, it sure. still would be a great movie. Just there wouldn't be that same nostalgia factor if you didn't have like actual things from pop culture. And so here's the thing that I've found confusing here because I did a little research. Obviously, I'm trying to consume as many written pieces about everybody's got a fucking hot take. Everybody's out here saying Ready Player One's got this right except for this one giant thing. And here are a few of the words that I've heard and I've read used to describe it. Oblivious, chilling, pathetic, toxic, problematic. And all of those are in a reference uh in in reference to pop culture and nostalgia. And uh, another big one is hollow hollow nostalgia nostalgia that just is here is this cool thing that you remember right i don't know what that means because if you have anything more than a hollow nostalgia then i think you're one of those over obsessive people that maybe has a little bit of an issue who doesn't want anything to change right but if you have a passing you know quote unquote hollow nostalgia then you can see the T-Rex from Jurassic Park for a split second and you get that wave of energy that you got. You can see the Iron Giant do the things that it does in this film and just get that little burst of energy. Shit, dude, there are things in this film that I'm not even a fan of. There are anime references and video game references that I don't fully understand, but the way Spielberg frames them, you know that they're fucking cool and that they matter. 
to the to and, and when I say they matter, it's it's really just um like pop culture and nostalgia is how we are shaped as people. You know, I mean that's what sh Jurassic Park helped shape me as a person. So why is it bad that I that people assume that my love for it is is toxic? And maybe they're not talking specifically about me, but that's well, it's so confusing. To well, me. I think the other thing about this is, I mean, I try to put myself in the perspective of if I was playing this game or I was going into the Oasis, right? Like, if you took everybody who who all the gamers across the world like there would be this like if you gave them anything they could be like anything like right. there would be this diversity there'd be tons of people that want to be teenage mutant ninja turtles there'd sure. be tons of people that want to be you street know fighter characters. street fighter characters you know all that kind of stuff like that to me is just realistic like i think of it going back to like think about when you were a kid and you didn't go into like a virtual reality but you played with like action figures. No, you like, used your actual goddamn imagination. You, you know. <laughs> I'm going to be Batman. I, I had plenty of times where, you know, you had crossover. I had a Star Wars person and sure. like a G.I. Joe. Like sure. you made up things that went all together. And that was the beauty of it. And, and I feel I, like this is like a $200 million version of that. Absolutely. And I think that's the thing is like, you know, one was he you know sticking exactly to the the novel no but i no, i don't you think can't. There, you can't. i don't think you can like there's very rarely does a book perfectly translate to film like sure. you know the closest thing i think we got to it you know it, in my mind is like a lord of the rings and sure, there, sure. there was even lord of the rings nerds that were pissed off that they didn't do certain that things fucking certain tom ways. babaldi didn't show up or whatever exactly so um, you're never going to please everybody, and especially when you go into the pop culture realm and the video game nerd realm, you're never going to please all of them because, look, like one person will love it because it's like, oh, it's that from that. And right. another person will be like, you did a crappy job at, you know, <laughs> right. at representing this character. Yeah. Well, I find that to be fascinating because it, it, to me it's a, it's a, it's a two-faced argument. Uh, you have a lot of people who look at this film and they say it's the hollow nostalgia and they're treating the Iron Giant in a way that wasn't true to the character. But at the same time, like pop culture and nostalgia doesn't just belong to you. You know, it belongs to everybody. And so if I choose to view this film and the way that they use something like the Iron Giant and I'm 100% okay with it, then that's fine. And and you don't have, you're not 100% okay with it, then that's fine. But I just find it so grating when we we are just keep telling each other. And when I say we, I'm talking about like the quote unquote, as I make quotation marks, the online film community. Like we're never okay with being different. It feels, it just feels like there are so many articles that are being written about this film that are like, this is what it got wrong. And then they're missing the entire point of what makes nostalgia and movies so great is that they're different for everybody, you know? Sure. Um, and, and, oh, I do want to mention one last thing. Uh, one of, one of the, Obviously, this movie's set in 2045, and a majority of the references are from the 80s and the 90s. Although, 
you do i mean i've seen i've seen a lot of snarky comments like how come in 2045 they're so nostalgic for the 80s well number one you know they have references to serenity they have references to overwatch they have references to halo like they have references to new shit guys so it's not just the 80s so do a little bit more research before you use that lazy ass argument on in in your 280 characters on Twitter or whatever the fuck it is. And number 2, they missed the entire point of the characters of the film. For James Halliday, who was the Steve Jobs Willy Wonka of the Oasis, the creator, he grew up in the 80s. So he started it by filling it with a bunch of 80s shit. And that's why all that like you know the, the the creator created this event this 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 item this world right and he came from a very specific you know lifestyle sure he came from he didn't come from you know south central la he didn't come from fucking you know puerto rico he came from ohio he was a nerdy so uh socially awkward possibly on the spectrum guy from Ohio and he created this world because he didn't know how to live in the real world like that's why you see all those references not because the, the, the Wade Watts isn't obsessed with the 80s to be obsessed with the 80s he's obsessed with the 80s because he's obsessed with Halliday you know because he he, he worships at the altar of Halliday and Halliday was a student of the 80s that kind of thing so I've I've always found that those two arguments are weak well and i think even like today like there's what did they just release that was huge last year star wars <laughs> what what uh they released original nintendo where you didn't need things to plug in yes. like people and people went nuts for it uh-huh. and they just and it was so popular they did it again with super nintendo yeah so it's like just because it's not current like it's not the new thing sure. doesn't mean it's not culturally relevant from that standpoint. So just because, you know, there's still people, there's still young people that get into Elvis. Like yeah. it's not nearly as popular right. as it was when Elvis was around. Right. But that doesn't mean there's not people that are younger that don't get into older culture. So, right. um, you know, I think it's, you know, a little bit weak and it's always going to be, you know, from the standpoint of, you know, whoever's the creator, it's going to be what their nostalgia is. They're not sure. going to, you can't create an effective universe if you're not into it. Like if you're a creator of something, like if I'm writing a book or I'm making a movie mm-hmm. or whatever it be, like it's not going to be nearly as effective or cool if I'm not actually into it and passionate about it. So what was Halliday passionate about? He was passionate about the 80s. He's and passionate about the child. music and the movies of the 80s. Exactly right. Exactly right. So now that we've talked a lot about nostalgia, just conceptually speaking, let's talk about the movie itself. Um, I actually really like the cast in this movie. I thought Ty Sheridan as Parzival um, actually did like Parzival as a character. Maybe not Wade Watts, but I really liked the way the world was realized. You know, and it got to the point of where Artemis and Parzival, I forgot they were avatars. Like they're just the characters. You know, but I think the two big sort of winners of this are again, fucking again, Mark Rylance and um, Olivia Cook. 
they were two of my favorite. I, I was so impressed with what Rylance did with James Halliday because, you know, the movie starts with him dying and the, the all the people going on this hunt for the keys to get the Easter egg that will gain them control of the Oasis. One person will get the Easter egg and they'll get his entire fortune and they'll get the keys to the Oasis and they can do whatever they want. So naturally there's all these people who are hunters hunting for it. They hunt for five years, they don't find anything. Meanwhile, there's this huge corporation, IOI, run by Sorrento, played by Ben Mendelsohn, who's again, great at playing a slimy corporate motherfucker who wants to win it and then shove it full of microtransactions, which I think is is really funny and really accurate. Um, but Mark Rylance plays Halliday as such a, there's a sadness there. There's a tragedy there in that, you know, he, he regrets or you can't, you can kind of see the regret that he has throughout his life even when it comes to this creation, when it comes to the Oasis, there are a few moments where you realize that, you know, he's kind of sad to see what it's become, what he's created, what hath I wrought, you know? And I thought that that was really interesting. Did you pick up on anything like that? Yeah, I mean, Rylance was definitely the standout performance to me. Um, you know, the other ones that I really enjoyed, and, and maybe it's because I always tend to trend towards the comedic stuff, but sure. I love... T.J. Miller in it, mostly because I'm just a fan of T.J. Miller's sure. Hey, you better watch yourself. Comedy. He's, been, he's, been, he's got accusations out there. Listen, I understand that, <laughs> and if he is, he's a douchebag and right. a jerk, but that's fine. But he was funny in the movies. So The whole neck bit? Yeah. Great, fantastic. All, all that stuff was fun. And then uh, Lena, is it Waith? Lena Waith. Lena Waith. I think. I could be pronouncing that wrong. She, I, I really enjoyed her character as well. Um, I feel like, you know, like you said, I think Ty Sheridan was definitely better as Parzival than as Wade Watts. Yeah. Um, and I think, especially when it was Wade Watts, he was in need of people like... <laughs> like Lena Waithe, like, not only as H, but as Helen when she's back. Like, yeah. she's, I mean, she just has personality. Oh, for sure. Out the gills. Yeah. And then even adding in, you know, the two Asian kids, uh, yeah, Philip Show Zhao and, and Wynn Morisaki were the actors, but uh, Show and Daito. They weren't in it much, but they what they were in were was pretty great. Well, and and I think one of the things that was fun, and I think we all can identify with it, with the internet culture in general and the gaming culture in general, sure. is like, like as much as you make assumptions about the people who are gamers, like, all different people play video ga games. Video games, yeah. like you know everything from you know eight to ten year olds up to like grown men and women right. play it too. Right. Like, it's not just the shitty white seventeen year old assholes. They just happen to be the loudest ones. Yeah. Or even everybody thinks like certain games are just played by like Asians and things right. like that. Right. Like that's not the case like right and so it was fun to see like a diverse cast obviously make up that because obviously we know that the gaming community is very diverse too it is so. i mean it really is and that's one of the reasons why i liked olivia cook so much as artemis because you know she's this uh, you know I, I again i've seen a lot of arguments that she's like this geek girl fantasy and that you know it's way too easy for the guy to get the girl and stuff but i actually feel like she has some really 
poignant moments of action here in the film um, when she tells, like, when Wade professes his love to her, which is not a spoiler, this shit happens all the time, she shuts him down. She's like, you don't know shit. You don't know me. You don't know who I am. You know, you're stop being an idiot, you know? And then some of the decisions that she makes later on in the film are way more proactive. And she she spends a she she's a very pivotal part of the ending of the film. And and she's just great. She's just a I mean, she's it's very easy to see, much like um I'm trying to remember the character in a movie that I referenced and I was like, she's great, you could see why I can't remember it. You gave me shit for it because I was like, she's lovely and you could see why you would fall in love with her. And I was like, whatever. Sounds like something I would give you a hard time You gave me shit for it. But the same thing is true here. Like, Samantha, uh, Olivia Cook is just a ray of sunshine, for lack of a better word. You can see why people would be drawn to her both as a leader of the resistance and as Wade, who's a fucking lonely, socially awkward, you know, kid. Um, and I just really like the stuff that she did with her character. Uh, I, I really, really, I really like the stuff for the char- from the character there. Um, the action scenes are phenomenal. I mean, I don't know how much there. You've seen most of them in the in the trailers. The gigantic battle at the end is just one thing after another after another of like, holy shit, this is cool. Uh, the opening race, same thing. I really was into that kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, I think in general, I mean, I think, you know, for better or worse, you know, Spielberg kind of got his feet wet in this style of animation with BFG probably. Right. Um, and Or even Tintin. Or Tintin. Yeah. Um, I think this probably takes it up a little bit of a level for oh, Tintin. It, oh, it does. <laughs> but, Boy, does it. Um, but that's one thing that I thought was so great. And, and so great not just about where we're at with movies but with animation in general whether it be for games or whether it be for movies right. like where we're at from an animation standpoint is just like mind-boggling sure. like you said like you don't feel like you're watching animation when you're watching the oasis scenes like right maybe in the very beginning and when you jump into reality away from the oasis sure. it kind of jars you and you realize it but like you could like I could have watched a whole movie just in the Oasis oh, and absolutely. been fine. Like and I wouldn't have thought like this was, you know, some cheesy animation or that kind of stuff. Right. And what's beautiful is there's a whole middle sequence that we'll talk about in the spoiler section where you can't tell what's animation and what's not. Like it, there's some really, really good shit in here. Um, more than anything else, though, it is just it's just a blast. I just had an absolute blast with the film. That's to, uh, do, uh, are you are you gonna follow me? What what if you had to give it a rating again? Like I said, I'm giving it five popcorns, but I'm giving it with an asterisk. Like this is a personal review. I understand. I can I can sit back subjectively and say like yes, it's not perfect. Like I said, Spielberg tends to lean into some of his cheesier tendencies near the end of the film. But I just had so much fun with it that I gave it five popcorns. Where does it where does it stack? You know, up for, for me, you? I'm I'm kind of on the fence between four and five. It's probably probably would be in a four and a half if we had that. But, sure. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna phrase it this way. I think a first watch, it's perfect popcorn. I think every time I watch it after, it's probably gonna be four out of five. Oh, interesting. Um, okay. But I think that initial like 
seeing it and the reveal and you know for those of us that don't read spoilers and and things like that sure like the initial experience of it and not knowing what's going to happen and not knowing you know who's the next character that's going to show up next and all that kind of stuff like to me that was perfect popcorn that was a fantastic movie experience now that i know that stuff i'll probably be a little bit more critical about some of the cheesy stuff because i know what's happening there's not that the high is worn off yeah the high is worn off of like oh that's so awesome they incorporated that or that they did that or you know that kind of stuff um so i don't know if it'll age as a a perfect popcorn but you know i'd say my first experience with it definitely perfect it's a hell of a lot of fun for sure so i mean again if you want to have fun, like just go check it out. I think it's an absolute blast. Uh, before we get into spoilers, as always, I want to do everyone a favor, and or I want to, I want everybody to do us a favor, and uh, and follow us on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram at the Popcorn Diet. Uh, wherever you're listening to us, you can always like, rate, subscribe, give us those four, five stars, give us that rating. It helps more people get in touch with the show more people listen more people be a part of the community and then of course if you want to read my review of ready player one you can find it on our website popcorndietpodcast.com but now we're going to spoil the we're just going to talk about spoilers for the rest of the of the runtime of this of this freaking podcast and david i don't think i have had a moment okay there's i don't know how to approach this I could approach this 15 different ways. Spielberg has always been my idol. I've always felt, you know, some people, they, 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 there's a celebrity or an athlete and they see the way that they act and they see the, the, the work that they create or the, the performances that they put on and they can't help but feel a sort of a, a spiritual kinship to that person. That's always been we with me, me with Spielberg. The guy has always managed to tap very deep into my sense of wonder and and drama and just again it's going back to the, the the way he uses the language of film right but i don't think i have ever felt closer to to steven spielberg as a person than when chucky shows up in this movie and you sat next to me while i laughed my ass off because what happens is chucky's basically a power up in this movie he's basically a grenade that you can buy and he, one character gives him to him. He's like, here, throw this at him. And so they throw this psychotic knife-wielding doll at the enemies, at which point it cuts to one of the bad guys wearing a visor going, oh, my God, it's fucking Chucky. And it's the greatest thing in the world. Uh, and number one, it's the best use of the F word in a PG-13 movie in recent memory, maybe ever. And number two... This is exactly what I'm talking about with hollow nostalgia. Chucky chose shows up for five seconds. He doesn't say a line of dialogue. He's just used as a gag. But I have such a history with Chucky because growing up, I was terrified of him, right? I, he showed up in my nightmares. He showed up in my fun dreams that then turned into nightmares when he that little bastard would just show up, right? I was so scared of him that running through the video store, I would have to shield my eyes when I walked through the horror section. And so seeing him pop up in this movie was surreal for several reasons. Because number one, it recognizes that my favorite filmmaker of all time, Steven Spielberg, knows who Chucky is. 
what a Chucky is. Number two, decided that, yes, this has to go in my movie. And number three, recognized how fucking crazy it would be for a Chucky to be thrown at your face to give him, like, to, to, to give him this line. And credit goes to Ernest Klein and Zach Penn as well, who wrote the script. But it just, it, it touched my soul. <laughs> I don't know how else to explain it. Like, it just got to the very, very core of me. And I don't get it. Like, I'm still to this, still right now, sitting across from you, baffled at how good that part was for me. That's all I have to say about it. Obviously, you didn't have the same reaction. No, I, I loved it. But but you have a different history. Yeah, I have a different history. I, you know. I, I I thought it was hilarious and it was it was funny. I think to me probably the most memorable scene to me is definitely the shining sequence. Oh um, my god. Where they basically go into the movie. The movie itself. Um It's so and, fucking good. And you have uh what is it, H or H? H. H who's never seen the movie. Right. Everybody else knows what's coming like uh-huh. they see very distinctive things and know like don't go there don't don't do go this. into that room like and, don't go into room 237 and h has no clue and so you're just getting to react to like all these things you know are coming and just seeing how you know and obviously it's the perfect character of the group to be in there that you know creates just a really fun funny scene yes. that's got a lot of nostalgia from the movie itself yes i mean everything Everything is in there short of Jack Nicholson actually showing up, you know, and, and having a line or something right, like that. Right. Um, which I think was was probably better that they didn't do go that far into some of that nostalgia. They gave it enough, kind of though. Yeah. That you know that, like, crazy-ass Jack Nicholson is lurking. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I love you know why I love that sequence so much. It reminds me of when I lived in Florida. I had I had two friends, Cody and Thomas. And they called me over, and this was way back in 2007 when the first Bioshock came out. And they were like, you have to play this video game. And they watched me play the game. And so it's it that, that moment was like watching, like, H was that friend who you're like, you have to watch this. And I thought that was really cool because I thought it really had a, it, it, it managed to capture, like, the moment of sharing something really cool with a friend who had no idea what it was. On a, on, a, on a weird, twisted, kind of fucked up level. Because H was, I'd never seen The Shining before. I don't know what to expect. You can't, oh, hey, little girls, what's going on? <laughs> like, it's the same as true of when I'm playing Bioshock and I'm like, oh, what's this over here? And some fucking thing jumps out at me. My buddies Cody and Thomas were laughing their asses off because they were watching the game, watching me react to the game. I thought that that was a really cool feeling on top of that. Um, I loved... And this is another interesting thing. When the Gundam showed up at the end, number one, Serenity shows up from Firefly. Daito jumps out, turns into the Gundam, and it's the Iron Giant and the Gundam fighting Mechagodzilla. And yeah, like on the surface, that's all it is. But fuck, is it cool? I don't even know, I don't watch Gundam. I don't have any history with that character. But Spielberg is so good at the visual language that he can put this scene together to emphasize how badass this is. And I love that. I absolutely love that. Yeah, well, and I think, you know, maybe it's because you and I, you know, maybe you're a little bit more than me, but I would consider (laughs) myself 
like at this point in my life a casual gamer and at some point eh, I'm at, pretty casual at some point in my life you know I was you know very deep into certain games and things like that sure but I think you know I wasn't looking at it like I walked away from the movie thinking like it'd be really cool if they found some way to make this it, game to make this a, a game that you could play not like an actual virtual reality where you're like running on a treadmill and wearing goggles and that kind of stuff like i don't need that nerdy of uh, an sure. experience but like even if it was something that just had like like a world of warcraft style with all this <laughs> kind of stuff but um then i would probably waste too much time on it probably probably but, no i mean i think some of the other favorite things for me like i already talked about it a lot i really enjoyed tj miller's character in it all the little things that he did uh-huh. um you know the net gag was great um the net gag the 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 end when he's when sorrento's about to nuke the whole planet and he's like wait a minute you're serious yeah i have like 10 years worth of shit on this account <laughs> yeah. like you can't you can't do that uh yeah man i'm it's a really funny movie and, and sorrento was great he played the great kind of role he kind of reminded me of uh like uh, what's his name in Billy Madison? Like oh, Bradley those, Whitford. Yeah. yeah, like those A types of characters. Yeah, like you know, um, doesn't really like get what's going on. Just right. is trying to make money off of it right. type of thing. Right. So right. Um, you know, all that I think was really fun. You know, I I told you this after the film. Like to me, like my biggest like like to me, I walked away from this movie thinking it's like. A modern day version of Willy Wonka. Yeah. Like you've got, you know, this dying creator of this world that uh-huh. everybody's lived in, you know, back in when Willy Wonka came out, like when chocolate bars were chocolate bars were a big thing. <laughs> candy and all, all that kind deal. of stuff. Yeah. Like <laughs> the thing to do when you got some money was to run down the street, go to the store and buy yourself a candy bar or something sure. like that. Like not a lot of kids identify with that anymore. What do Hell kids no. what do kids identify with now? They identify with video games. Sure. Like all different kinds, like you know, there'll be ones that get big, like right now it's Fortnite, you sure. know, or things like that. Yeah. But there's always video games it seems like is the biggest thing with like kids these days. And so to have like a video game creator that's like turning the keys of his video game kingdom over to a kind worthy of like, successor. Yeah, to a worthy successor. Like even some of the like challenges and those types of things or the test at the end. Like even signing like, the contract. Like yeah. even if Sorrento would have gotten all the way to that point, you know, motherfucking Sorrento would have signed the contract. Yeah, exactly. And so it wouldn't have happened. So right. like. All those things were just very Willy Wonka-esque, I feel like. All these, like, tests, like, it just reminded me sure. so much of that. Well, also, like, the trailers. I mean, the original yeah, trailers they used, used the, the world of imagination. Yeah, the world of imagination. So. Um, I want to go back to the Iron Giant for a second uh, because I want to talk about this a little bit with spoilers as well. And we already discussed the difference between the Iron Giant and a Iron Giant, you know, and, and why it's not the character that you see it's just it's a shell these are not you're not seeing the further adventures of the iron giant you're not seeing the further adventures of the battle toads because these aren't these are just avatars Mm -hmm. they're just things that people loved and that's what they decided to choose to represent them right an interesting thing obviously the iron giant was an anti-war movie but who did the iron giant the iron giant wanted to be superman and what does the Iron Giant do in this film? He uses heat vision against the bad guys. 
And he uses his body as a bridge, which Superman does in the original film when he uses his body so that the train doesn't crash. He uses his body as a bridge. So, hey, the Iron Giant's acting an awful lot like Superman. Now, then again, he also uses his giant arm cannon in the film, in Ready Player One, which doesn't really fit with my analogy. But I had another realization last night, and I found this very interesting, David, um, because one of the one of the messages of the film is, I what I got out of the film at least is that pop culture and nostalgia are great, and it's great to have, and it's great to have a reference of your history. But it's also important to to live in the real world and move forward and not let these things be what your life is all about. You know, it's important that when you walk out of the movie, you walk into reality, you know, and I found that in James Halliday's um, sort of sadness at, at seeing what his creation has become. That's why there was the red button option. Like you can turn the whole thing off if you want. Yeah. Right. Um, but going back to the Iron Giant. Even in the movie, The Iron Giant, the Iron Giant wanted to be like a fictional character. The Iron Giant wanted to be Superman. So even then, in that fucking film, the main character of a giant robot wants to be a pop culture character. It's in us. It's who we are. And that's why I think the phrase hollow nostalgia is bullshit because nostalgia is not hollow to the people who care about it. I just, I, I going back to that, I just think it drives me, it drives me a little crazy thinking about that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I, you know, I think I am absolutely all about this movie. I like, think, I think the only problems I had with this film, I think, you know, and and they're not necessarily problems as much as like what I would consider like quote unquote knocks on the film. Is okay, there's some cheesiness in there, like like you mentioned, the end scene is is kind of cheesy. Yeah, it's kind of cheesy when they're like, "Well, we decided to turn the Oasis off Tuesdays and Thursdays so I could make out with my girlfriend in my apartment." Exactly. Like, like I get what they're going for, you know. But it's still cheesy. Yeah, and and the thing is, you know, the reason why. You know, that could like potentially bug you is like it was unnecessary. Like there was no there was no need Very like necessary. Like we didn't need to know like the update of what's going on with the Oasis now. Like I don't think that was necessary from that yeah, standpoint. Like sure. we could have all just lived in the world that where he said, you know, the five, you know, took over and ruled right. the oasis you know managed the oasis right. and like, but i think it was important to the message maybe not the making out with my girlfriend in my apartment thing which is not a line in the film it's just you literally see them just sitting there canoodling sure like a couple of fucking teenagers um in which his apartment are. but i think it's important to the story that they made that decision to like force people to get back into the real world because if you constantly live in this virtual reality world with no reference to reality, then reality is just going to get worse and worse and worse. So I thought it was cheesy, but maybe a little bit more necessary than you thought. Maybe. Maybe. Um, I, I wanted to mention one more thing. Um, I just can't remember what it was. Well, I think the only other thing too, you know, I mean, you can get really nitpicky and that's why we say like, this isn't a perfect film. Oh, uh, no. Like there's plenty of All other things that you there's plenty of other things that you can point out. Like, you know, if you really want to get into like the real world thing, like you could get into like how 
the world still sucks outside. Like yeah. the whole world outside of the Oasis still sucks. Right. <laughs> From that standpoint, it doesn't seem like we're doing anything to get that better. Sure. And so, you know, forcing people to be in the real world, I don't know whether <laughs> that's going to accomplish much. You've got things like the stacks and things like that. Sure. Like you don't see whether those things go away. And again, you don't need answers to those types of things. Right. Um, but but again, I could have I would have preferred if you're gonna have a cheesy ending, just end like with a and they all just live happily em, ever after. No, just embrace like the full line '80s and end with a freeze frame somewhere. Ooh, okay, like, I like go that. Go '80s and get a get a freeze frame like <laughs> with a don't you forget about me with his fist in the absolutely, air. Absolutely, absolutely. Ah, that's not a bad suggestion, man. That's not a bad suggestion at all. I think I think this ending resembles a lot of Spielberg's kind of. I think you look at the ending of like Kingdom of the Crystal Skull with the whole wedding. You look at the ending of War of the Worlds where his son is miraculously alive and the aliens just kind of died. Yeah. Or even Minority Report where it's like, oh, the precogs went free and everybody lived happily ever after. He always wants to end on a on a positive note. I what? mean, even the post, you look at the I mean, even the post has one of those kind of endings. Well, and I feel like Spielberg doesn't typically like to leave questions unanswered like sure he likes not for you to assume it was a happy ending but for you to actually see that it was a happy ending yeah, and feels sure. i mean feels it to go necessary he feels it necessary to go those extra like five to ten minutes just to show you that everybody lived happily ever after goes, where where other directors would just be like uh-huh, maybe like you see everything and happy but you don't know like exactly what Right. What that, that ends up being. That even goes all the way back to Jaws when the actual film Jaws ends with them on the raft kicking away. But during the very short credits, it's the shot of the beach and you can see them making it to shore. Sure. Like the, they made it. Don't worry, guys. Yeah. Like that kind of thing. Um, I think going any further, we'll just if we go an extra minute, we're going to go an extra half hour. So I'm going to table it there. One of these days, you and I are going to have a, a deep dive conversation on Spielberg and and talk about everything. I mean, it'll just be a big love fest for Spielberg, a whole episode on that. But for now, again, one of the biggest things I want everybody to remember is that your nostalgia is yours and you should never be ashamed of it. But the one thing that you shouldn't do is is force it upon other people or tell other people how they're wrong in enjoying something. And I think I've seen, I've seen a lot of that surrounding leading up to the release of ready player one and, and coming away from it is, is that people are really, really adamant on, even when they're trying to be progressive about it, they feel really adamant about telling people why they shouldn't enjoy something. And over here at the popcorn diet, we just like liking things. So that go on and enjoy Ready Player One. I think it's an absolute blast. I think it's got literally something for everybody. I mean, literally, it's probably got something for everybody in it. I can't wait to get it on Blu-ray so that I can freeze frame it one by one by one, and it'll be my life's work cataloging all of the references in Ready Player One. But with all of that being said, we're gonna close it out. Props to Spielberg. Props to Ready Player One. For the Canadian machine, Mr. David Melhorn, I am your very best good movie buddy, Rick Williamson. And we're going to see you next time on the Popcorn Diet with another good movie. Adios.